Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. to the WEI Celtics podcast. The Seas take down the Hawks in game four last night and even up the series. And we're here to talk about it. I am your host, Sam Packard, from the Green Street blog, WEI.com. Joined, as always, by Jared Weiss. You're repping Green Street now. Things don't change. Oh, yeah. I've been writing game recaps, and me and my, my main man, Trags, are making videos, so I feel like wow. mad respect for the Green Street team. Yeah, you're double teaming Trags' WEI.com videos with the Garden Report videos with the Celtics blog and CLNS Radio live feeds. This guy is all over the tubes. I was on camera a lot last night, and it went to my head. I got... Uh, I got a pretty pain. Um, but we're joined by Jared Weiss, as always, host of the Garden Report. And on the phone, he's been with us the whole playoffs. And we've anointed him the best friend of the uh, best friend of the program, Chris Forsberg. How are you doing, Chris? What's going on, boys? How are you tonight? All right. So our interview with Chris Forsberg is brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the code CelticsBeat for a $20 rebate at SeatGeek. I have a question about this. Who is getting money for that? Because I'm not getting money for this seat, be- this seat geek read. <laughs> yeah. I think the residual is going to – I think it all goes to Chris, and then Chris is allowed to give us $2 a piece. And he's spending well, it all at Bojangles. More on that well, later. <laughs> well, yeah, if you, want, if you want some serious chicken and biscuits talk, make sure you hang around. Or you can just scrub forward now if you're not into the basketball talk. But I definitely need some of that seat geek money to pay for this bill of, of, of my chicken and, and, and Thousands and thousands of dollars on Bojangles. <laughs> but let's focus on game four. People are calling it the Marcus Smart game. And I'm not sure if people are actually calling it that, but it feels like they should or might. So what was your reaction to the craziness that was game four, the overtime victory for the Celtics? I feel bad because for like the, there was a part there in the third quarter into the fourth quarter where it looked like it was going to be the Jonas Jerebko game. Uh, and he kind of willed them back from that, that first little double-digit deficit. And then Marcus took the baton and uh, got him to the finish line. But it definitely deserves to be called the Marcus Mark game. That was, that was, that was pretty fun uh, to see him do it at both ends of the floor. I think if you're a casual Celtics fan or if you're, an, you're just an NBA fan who doesn't necessarily see the Celtics a lot, your perception of Smart is probably, uh, you know, you're you're baffled that he's the number six pick who doesn't shoot the ball well, who's not an NBA point guard yet, who is prone to these flops that you probably see on Sports Center all the time. Not prone and... to them. He's great at them. He's one of the best <laughs> floppers in the league. The flops are prone to him. They are. They are. And so I don't know. But I, I don't think people have this real idea of of maybe what more hardcore Celtics fans who are the type to download a podcast like this are into it and know that his defense and his intensity and his competitiveness sort of make him more valuable than maybe he seems on the outside. And last night we finally got a chance for those kind of those two worlds to meet 
And I mean, Marcus did it all. I mean, 11 points, 11 of his 20 points in the fourth quarter. He was shooting the ball great. Springy baseline dunk, going hard at the rim for the and one, and obviously defending Millsap and anybody else he could, could go run it after. Uh, just a really cool night for Marcus. And uh, uh, really, you think about it, I mean, it'd be a lot different right now talking about this down 3-1 going back to Atlanta if, if he didn't help will them to a victory. So he pulled off something that he just defensively he will always pull off something when you don't expect it in a way you don't expect. And going up against Paul Millsap for the last 14 minutes of the game, holding him to one for five shooting while he's guarding him, it's it's incredible. And you watch the way he defended him. He defended him like the best power forward would try to do it, the way that a Draymond Green would try to do it, where he used his lower body to try to leverage him out of position, and then he was able to stay in front of him and take his blows to the chest. And it, it was incredible what Smart pulled off. Yeah, I mean, I just go back to, like, even the one bucket he gave up, he just slipped. It was like, you know, he was going at him really hard, like an offensive lineman trying to hold up a defensive lineman. And maybe it's because they threw him out there against guys like Porzingis earlier in the season. Like, he's not going to be overwhelmed by a 6'8 dude because he's been throwing around 7'3 guys at points this season. So, uh, I mean, that's the value of Marcus Smart. Kid is, the kid is strong, kid is tough, and the kid is only 22 years old, which, you know, I think Isaiah Thomas put it, put it pretty well. He's going to be something special because if he's doing what he's doing now at 22, imagine what he's going to be capable of with, with some seasoning. Imagine when we can actually – define what he is or maybe that'll never happen and maybe that's just as cool because the, you know i don't know what he's going to evolve into but if he ever gets this jump shot figured out or at least consistently if he develop if he continues to develop like he has as a point guard you know who, i don't care what label you want to put on him he's, he's going to be something special you know you brought up the play i really was interested in was the one where he actually gave up the basket i like to think of it as he was really zero and a half for five because on that play smart tries to strip him gets flush contact with the ball but paul Millsap was standing right in front of bill belichick and league Eric blunt and he knows he can't fumble in that situation or else belichick's not going <laughs> to sign him this offseason so yeah <laughs> so it was an incredible play by smart smart had to put his entire body into it to try to strip the ball and Millsap is just that strong so Millsap steps over him for the layup but that was i thought another great defensive play just it didn't work out that time yeah like listen i Again, there was no play that he wasn't competitive. And I think Millsap had one out of the bucket in that final span, but it was when Marcus had gone to cover somebody and Jay got switched on to Yeah, he, to dub- he doubled on the Horford away from Millsap, exactly. so Millsap was open under the hoop. You guys, and, and then, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to interrupt. I'm going to be a real big party pooper right now. Um, uh-oh, uh-oh. And, and Chris, it's kind of for your behalf because I know you work for ESPN, but I feel like I need to embrace debate right now. Um, Marcus Smart still made the kind of dumb, crazy Marcus Smart mistakes that we, we know him for. And Brad Stevens mentioned after the game that um, maybe Paul Millsap was a little bit tired. So I know he had a great performance, but we're very quick to anoint him the Marcus Smart game. And I know I called it that on our way in, so I take full blame. I thought he played really well, but down or when the Celtics were up four and Isaiah threw up a, kind of a prayer to get... Uh, try to draw a foul. Marcus Smart still came in with like nine seconds on the shot clock and tried to do an ill-advised alley-oop. Um, yeah, like... That was my half-hearted effort at embracing debate, but I just want to say he didn't have like the perfect <laughs> game. He went on a nice run where he scored eight points in a row, but anyone can really get hot for a good six minutes. Mark, well, but that's the thing. Marcus Smart is never going to have the perfect game, and that's what makes him you know so unique is that you're going to have to take the good with the bad. It's the same thing as that happened in game one where he kind of willed them back but then had the boneheaded foul with more time on the clock when they could have played for a stop. 
you know, maybe he'll grow out of that, or maybe his intensity and his competitiveness will always just lend itself to that. Even the, 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 the flop, I mean, as hilarious as it was, he was trying to follow out Corver. It's just the way his mind works. It's like, you know, sometimes those flops work, so he tries it. And I don't know, maybe he'll find a better balance as, as he goes along. I think the Celtics have stressed to him, like, you play hard enough. You don't need to do that stuff. But if it's part of your makeup and you just it's what you're used to, um, it just might always be there. But it, still, I just I, if you take Marcus Smart out of that game for the last, whatever, 18 minutes of, 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 the, of play, I just don't know if it, if it plays out quite the same way. I want to put a plug in this theory that he some that Marcus Smart got to take advantage of a tired Paul Millsap. Smart also played pretty much the same amount of minutes as Millsap. It wasn't like Smart came out completely fresh. He played like was it twenty four straight minutes at the end of the game or something like that. I mean, he played the entire game. He was just as tired. We know that nobody uses their minutes at an active level as much as Marcus Smart. That guy is constantly diving, running around, sprinting. That guy must have been exhausted as well. And really, you look at the moves that Millsap tried to make on him. I mean, they weren't – like, he was looking just as athletic and powerful as he was really for most of the game. Sure, he was a little bit slowed down, but everybody's a little bit slowed down at that point of the game. I guess my only counter to that is, like, that the fact that he had just put up 40 shots might be a little bit more taxing on him. But I'm – the point is taken. I was just – Mark. I mean, Marcus made just probably just as many really aggressive moves on defense as Millsap made on offense, really. And, and I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it with this. The fact that you could say, well, did he get lucky? Well, Marcus held everybody else to 0 for 5, Corver, Bazemore, and, and um, you know whoever else he picked up, Horford, I think, at one point, in the first half and or, or the first three quarters. So he had a pretty good game overall. I think we could just agree, regardless of who was tired. I was and- just trying to embrace debate, guys. I don't believe these things I'm saying. <laughs> Wait, Tony Kornheiser out here? No, I'm just I was trying I was trying to add a little Stephen A. Skip and it didn't it didn't fit for me. But let's talk about um, Millsap was great in those first thirty minutes, and the Celtics is the answer for Game Five and the rest of the series. We'll just throw Marcus on him because that doesn't seem sustainable because you still need someone to guard Kyle Korver. So what do you think the Celtics' strategy will be uh, moving forward in the series, Chris? Well, I, I think you can't like overreact uh, to a big game. Like you, you've done a, for the first three games, you did a great job on Millsap. I don't think you go reinventing the wheel because he had one big night. And in fact, if you're kind of playing the odds, chances are he's not going to come out and have another 45-point game. I think there's stuff you can learn from what you saw last night. You know, the whole way they approached him was, was kind of interesting, like going with Jurebko at first or Mir, and those two guys obviously didn't work out. And then they leaned really heavy on Sullinger. And, it, and I, I think a lot of us were sitting there saying, you know, what is he doing? Sullinger's having like a really bad series, and he's just kind of throwing him to the wolves here against the guy who's on fire. You know, Brad kind of explained it on the conference call today that you don't want to overreact because if all of a sudden he's putting all this attention on Millsap with your best defenders, that's going to open stuff up for other guys. And all of a sudden, Corver gets going, T gets going. Now you get the whole team on fire. You know, in a situation like that, if, if Millsap's just going to make every bucket, let him. Like, you know, just try and take everybody else away and, and hope that one guy can't beat you. Uh, I do think you'll see times where if. Millsap gets going late in games or, or whatever the situation may be that, that Marcus may go over there and, and check him for, for, for shorter periods of time. And it's, it's nice for the Celtics to have that in their back pocket to know it can be effective. But I think they go right back to what they've done the whole series. Like the Celtics defensively, by and large, have been great in this series, and there's no reason to, to really overreact to one, to one outburst. It's just a matter of they've got to figure out on a night-to-night basis the Hawks are having one guy that seems to be kind of stepping forward and 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 can they keep them all you know when when that one big performance happens can they keep everybody else 
down because the nights the Hawks have won, they've really spread things out. And that, like you think back to Game One and the Baysmore night, uh, they got to make sure that that they they don't let everybody get going at the same time. And you know, Corver started scoring right after Smart made the switch to Millsap, so that was a great example of how it can come to bite you. And I wouldn't be surprised if they tried doubling using guys like Smart and. Uh, I mean, whoever's going to be playing the two throughout the rest of the series, Rogier, whomever, they're probably going to have to start try to double uh, him while using guys like Solinger. Because, you know, really, while Solinger has been kind of progressively worse as the series has gone on, they do kind of need his body out there. Because they, I mean, unless they're going to go to Mickey, they're not going to go to Zeller to try to guard somebody like, uh, like uh, Millsap. So unless they want to go to Mickey, they're probably going to have to use Solinger out there for a little, and they're going to need a really good defensive guard like uh, Smart or Rogier out there to be able to rotate down and double when he's in the post. I completely agree. I don't know if they're going to want to double, per se, because they still, would last night, gave up a crap ton of threes. The, the Hawks were 12 for 43. So 43 <laughs> three-point attempts in a game is pretty absurd, and the Celtics are very lucky that the Hawks only made 12 of them. I'm not really sure what the issue is. I don't know if Dennis Schroeder was completely just scared out of his mind because he was getting harassed. <laughs> his patch actually grew during the game. Uh, Jeff Teague was 3 for 10. Corver was 3 for 9. Bazemore was 1 for 6. So the Hawks have a good chance of just uh, kind of making shots. So you gotta, you're kind of screwed if you do, screwed if you don't. You just hope that one of the guys doesn't go off. The good thing for the Celtics is that their offense uh, existed outside of Isaiah Thomas scoring 40 points. And a lot of people contributed, and Jay Crowder actually made the first couple shots of his game, which I thought was huge. And he didn't finish with a great game, but clearly he did something to get his shot back a little bit, something in that wacky for our uh, 1.30 a.m. session. <laughs> Can you imagine being his friend? Like, that he, he had to call up some poor, poor buddy and be like, Hey man, I know it's one thirty, and you'd probably be rather be like hanging out at a nightclub or something. But I have go... no, no, no. I have no sympathy for that man because that man probably <laughs> lives in this area entirely, like on the dime of Jay Crowder. That's part of being in the crew. If you're I making so. your life off of Jay Crowder's jump shot, then you got to be ready to help that jump shot twenty four seven. His whole he, job it, is just to keep the driveway clean. <laughs> it all started there, and so. We've heard stories about Jay doing this before, like that he was when he was in Dallas, he would go in, do late night shooting, bumped into Kobe one night. Uh, he, he talked about when Kobe was on his retirement tour about how profound that was, and just getting to talk to Kobe and seeing him put in the effort it was good to see him come out and make. I think what his first three shots went in, and uh, kind of gave him the Celtics a, a nice little lift early. Obviously, I think he went one for seven, one for eight after that. Um, that's a little bit more discouraging, but you can see that it's there that he, he's kind of finding his way towards it. It's nice that Brad, in the grand scheme of things, rewarded Jay for that effort in terms of, you know, for one reason or another, maybe we would have never known if it didn't become public with Isaiah saying it practice the other day, but that he rewarded him seemingly for, for putting in that effort by giving him the first look and making sure he had some, some pretty clean plays designed to get him going. Uh, I think they understand that if they're going to do anything either at the end of this series or, you know, heck, if we start thinking about it even further, um, that they're going to need Jay Crowder to, to be a big part of it and, and help carry some of that offensive load. So uh, encouraging for the fir- first half. Uh, I guess it's the encouraging part is that it, when Jay drops off in the second half is that other guys like Jarepko and Smart stepped up and, and gave you a little boost. And the big thing is that he's restoring the threat of the stretch where he actually is making a three here or there, and same thing with Jarebko, and having that is actually allowing guys like Isaiah 
and more importantly, Marcus to be able to dribble penetrate because Marcus really needs a space. We see when he dribbles through traffic, he panics, he dribbles the ball off of his knee and then catches it and then throws it to IT for a clutch three, which actually would probably be ideal if that happened every time. But they need that spacing. They need space for – they need open lanes for Smart to be able to comfortably drive. And having Jay shooting in the far corner and actually pulling out that defender is important, having Jarebko on the near elbow – they need stuff like that. So having Jay just being a threat as a shooter is probably enough of a contribution to this series to make him effective. Yeah, and, and actually, I'll, I'll toot my, my, you know, pull the little plug horn. But like, part of tomorrow, yeah, well, there we go, boys. And, but part of tomorrow's story uh, uh, it, it focuses on the fact that the Celtics actually had, I think they were averaging something like 24 drives per game in the, uh, the first three games of the series. And then I think they had something like 64 last night where they just went at the basket relentlessly and, and sort of, you know, epitomized by the, the last basic play of the, of the game where Isaiah just goes off a simple pick and roll and attacks two defenders and uh, gets the layup that gets them to overtime. It was clear they saw something in the Hawks where they understand, like, as much as they've been packing the paint and that's left them reluctant to, 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 to go at the basket and take jump shots, that now that they've got Jurebko out there spreading things a little bit, now that Jay's a little bit more of a threat, that interior is loosening up a bit, and they got, they're recognizing, listen, they're probably not going to win this series on jump shots, but if they can go to the hoop a little bit more and get, get those easy points and get to the free throw line, they're going to give themselves a better chance. So that's, that's encouraging, they, and, and you need to keep them honest with that, and if, if Jay can make shots, that's going to go a long way. The other part of it is, well, you know, will we see Kelly Olenek again and, and whether, whether he'll have an impact on, that, on the second unit by stretching the floor? Okay, we're going to table that because we got to get to Kelly, but we need to talk about that last play by Isaiah and regulation. It made no sense. I it was so. It was so. It was so. It was one of the best plays of his entire career. He, I mean, for one, a phenomenal job by Marcus Smart to set that set a pretty good pick about thirty five feet away, which gives Isaiah a head of steam and gives him way more space to actually get to the hoop. But Kent Bazemore and Al Horford like close the red line doors on him. The the metaphor I used in my game story was it was like a drunken Harvard student diving through the doors on the last red line train of the night. And it was, go ahead, go ahead. That's a, that's a good, that's a great way to put it. It, it really is crazy. I didn't really, in real time, I didn't notice how like how quickly those doors shut. But man, like you watch just the, you look at the space he had a step before he reached those two. And you think, how in the world did he just cruise right through them and lay the. I mean, it's it, it's pretty it's pretty impressive. But again, like Brad was just that confident that they could get that shot that he just like I said maybe he just threw a number four on the board and pointed at the hoop or something like you know that that was I don't think that one was a was a uh, one of Brad's more difficult draw ups. Yeah, I'd like to imagine Brad as the kind of we, – we see him as this grand wizard of eight, uh, out of timeout plays. But apparently last night his advice to Marcus Smart was just guard him. So maybe he just said, <laughs> score, Isaiah, and he did. The, the, I had the same reaction you did with the uh, the initially live. I didn't realize how tiny that space was. And it makes me think that Isaiah believes he's going to get through that space every single time. Yeah. I used to think he was going up for just to get fouled. But I think he has this like he a strong belief – that his tiny body is going to be able to go through whatever obstacle is in his way. See, I think Isaiah only watched Indiana Jones when he was a kid, so he's used to being trapped in rooms where the walls are mysteriously closing in on you in some Mayan temple. So he just kept practicing jumping out at the last second. That would just, be a terribly odd existence. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. 
Okay, so let's talk about Kelly Olynyk then. So Kelly Olynyk kind of played a little bit. Stevens hinted that we might only see him for that second quarter rotation in the first half, and that's exactly what happened. So let's take Stevens' hints a little more seriously, I guess, next time. Hey, I bold predicted before the game that it was a red herring, so I took it. I took it very seriously. I was sitting in that front row and thought Kelly's not playing whatsoever. Stevens is basically saying, without actually saying. There's, there's no real way we're giving him more than five minutes this game. What did you think of right. Kelly's return to the lineup? Well, I think just like Brad said, it's, it's, he hasn't played, he hasn't practiced. Like You're not going to throw a guy in a, pretty much a must-win game into a situation like that. I'm sure you know if, if Kelly had come out in the first half and knocked down a bunch of threes and looked spry and all of a sudden springy or whatever, like maybe they, they come back with him. But in a series where you're going small anyway and you know the, the, you don't know if you're – if your this shooter can get his arm up high enough to grab rebounds or, or take shots, you're not going to risk it. I think it's encouraging that he was out there and that you know maybe they'll they'll be able to integrate him more moving forward. But you think about it, they had today off. You know they're not going to do anything besides watch film today. Tomorrow they'll have a shoot around, and then there's I guess there's about 18 hours until tip off after that point because of the late tip. But you know he's not going to get a ton of work in between now and then. So I would say his status for Game 5 is probably, you know, unlikely to be anything more than what we saw the other night. Uh, he's in a tough spot. I feel, In a way, I feel bad because he's had to step in front of the, of the microphones and cameras about 100 times since the playoffs started and explain, you know, I'm feeling better, but, you know, I don't know. And it just feels like... Whoa, uh, whoa, you brought way too much energy to that Kelly Olenek yeah. impression. <laughs> <laughs> he, Let I your hair down that. on this one, man. <laughs> Uh, I, I just think that he probably does want to be out there. Brad was very staunch in that defense before game three where we were like, you know, because we're all sort of sitting there wondering, like, they're down 2-0. That's a situation where most guys, regardless of where they're at, if they're able to get on the court, they're going to play. It made it sound like that maybe they were encouraging him not to get out there or, or just not, you know, trying to, to make him feel guilty for not being out there. Uh, but as this goes along, as it gets closer, it, it's clear they want him out there to help, and his, his presence alone can help them. Uh, but when you hear him talking about how loose it is, and I don't know, that just that doesn't doesn't sound well for the for the long term. We'll know if uh, we'll know just how hurt he is by if a day after the season he's he's under the knife. All right, so that brings us perfectly to the grand opening, the grand reopening of the WEI Celtics mailbag. Woo! The Twitter bag. The Twitter bag mailbag. Hashtag WEEI Celtics on the Twitterverse. This one actually relates directly to Kelly Olenek, and it's from the account Celtics Hot Takes. <laughs> I cannot wait for this question. On a team with junkyard dogs like this, where does Olenek, who didn't play hurt in Game 3, fit in? I'm deeply disturbed that he declared himself out without even giving it a go. Shouldn't he want to be out there? Woo, piping hot. Yeah, that is that's a, that's a steamy hot take right there, and I, I don't think people disagree. I think you know maybe it's it's the the, the Boston mindset where guys are supposed to tape it up and, and go out there or whatever. And it is tough when like Avery blows out a hammy and they're sitting there saying, you know, oh, I'm hoping I'll be back by game two, even though everyone knew he probably wasn't going to be back for game two. The fact that Jay came back early from the injury, the fact that you know Marcus hurt his hand in game one, got the ribs in game two. Everyone's sort of been fighting through something. I think it's only natural. That being said, I still kind of give the kid the benefit of the doubt. It, 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 the shoulders, especially when when you consider what Kelly's skill set is, is troublesome. When his shooting shoulders is affected, uh, you do worry. So I'll give him a little bit benefit of the doubt. But again, if it goes to the off season and he just 
they have to strengthen it and there's no surgery or anything, I think that would make maybe raise my dander a little bit more and make me wonder, you know, just how serious it was. I kind of tuned out at the last part because I just I was really wanted to focus on you just call basically calling out uh, Kelly Olynyk for not trying. <laughs> Avery's I'm done not- it. Avery's coming back. Marcus wants to come back, but Kelly's over there on the bench. I get it. We'll edit this out. We'll edit that out and post and just make it sound like you're a, a just a hot take machine. <laughs> I feel ba- I genuinely feel bad for the kid. All right, I got a good one here from off the bench. Uh, they want to know if slash when. Bradley comes back healthy. Does Stevens change the lineup and start him, or does he come off the bench? Yeah, no, I think he's got to go back into the starting lineup. I don't think you you mess with with what was successful at the start of the season and, and for most of the season. I mean, there's no harm in moving Evan Turner back to the bench. I mean, you could stick with Jurebko in there if Soldier's still struggling, and that could. I mean, if, if we're assuming that Avery wouldn't be back until the second round, then you know matchups are different, and maybe maybe you go back to some too traditional more often, or you know explore that that but you know the way this lineup's playing I, I guess it's fair to say that I wouldn't envision an overhaul but if Avery is anywhere near 100% and can come back you know unless there's a reason to bring him off the bench to limit minutes or to, because you're, you're trying to ease him back in I don't see any reason why you why you why you mess with, with what you know works I feel like if they make it to uh, playing the Cavs then they're gonna have one two more games and Brad Stevens is just gonna go with a hot hand um, but speaking of the Cavs, we have a question from at Tim D'Amato. Who do you think the Cavs would rather play, the Hawks or the Celtics? So me and Jay King were talking about this today. Boo! Like, boo that man! <laughs> boo that man! I said, don't you have like a, another lame podcast to go record? <laughs> you know? And, I'd like uh, to imagine you two are sitting like across from each other in the business workstation of the hotel you're staying in. Oh, no, you're still strangled <laughs> at, the Bo- at the Bojangles, aren't you? Yeah, like I, I don't let anyone come see me. Does the Decatur Ramada Inn have a face-to-face workstation? <laughs> if we could just, you know, you could hear each other talking on the uh, under, uh, like when a quiet moment, you could just hear them un- un- underneath my iPhone talking. You should do that podcast. at one point and just get, switch phones so one person will do the other person's <laughs> podcast. I, I think that would work. We'll just make it a big old conference call. We need like a season-ending uh, Celtics, uh, you know, block party. Uh, I think we need a town hall debate. Yeah, we can get like all <laughs> seven like Celtics podcasts together for one town hall debate on whether or not Jared Solinger is worth ten million just at so, this point. Just so much hot takes in that in that podcast. There would just be like it would set the internet on fire. All right, but back but, to the question: What, what were you Jay yeah. debating about this? Well, because I, I, I said I don't think they can. Like, and I think Jay said the same thing. You know, you're the cat. Well, that's I, not I a debate know. at all. <laughs> that's the point. Well, I, I respectfully we agree with you, sir. I, I, said, I said we were talking about it. I didn't say we were debating it. Um, I, I would think there's uh, – I, I think from a journalistic standpoint, there's obvious storylines with the Celtics and obviously the Olenek thing and would be bonkers for the leading up to the series, especially with Love and with Kelly dealing with his own shoulder injury. Uh, people would have a field day with that. If I'm the Cleveland, I just hope that Boston and – and uh, Atlanta batter each other so badly over the next couple of games that uh, that they come to blows in Game 7 and everyone gets suspended and makes Cleveland's path a little bit more easy. Can we talk about Kevin Love's shoulder? Why does everybody want to rip it out? Last year's Kelly Olynyk, and then last night Marcus Morris like tried to completely rip his arm off. Somehow did not get called for a flagrant two, which I thought was an easy call. It probably will be retroactive. But why do people want to murder Kevin Love so badly? <laughs> I don't know. Like Poor guy. Like, it's, 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 a, it's one of those things where it happened once, now everyone's just kind of like, how do we slow him down? I'll pull his arm out of his pocket. All right, next mailbag question is from 
My brother, Nick Packard. <laughs> Where would this team have ended up sans Brad? And I'd like to point out that sans is a use we use frequently in the Packard household. So where would the team be sans Brad? Yeah, sans. Well, let's see. So, I mean, I'd go back and I'd look at all the games that were crunch time games that they won. And I don't, off the top of my head, I know they improved. They actually struggled earlier in the year, like more than we, we probably thought. Uh, but they were pretty good at the end of the year. So let's say it accounts for you know, four or five wins um, because they, they don't make the plays down the stretch or Brad doesn't get the chance to call all those timeouts and draw stuff up. Um, I don't, I, I, you know, I, there needs to be a metric like coach above replacement coach or uh, some sort of how many wins he can he generates, win shares per coach. Uh, but I would say let's, let's just say it's five, you know, which I think for a coach is a pretty high number. I don't know if, if, if a coach – I guess that maybe, maybe not. I'd, I'd have to really think this through. But let's say you take away five losses. I mean, they're like a fringe playoff team at that point, right? Like they're down in Indiana territory, uh, maybe even Detroit territory, and then you're playing the Cavs in the first round, and we're probably talking about uh, are they going to spend eight figures on Jared Solinger or Tyler Zeller. Speaking of Jared Solinger, we've got like five questions here about Jared Solinger. So first really? off, first off, is he going to get benched for the rest of the series? Okay, so great answer. Yeah, I and saw then, something like um, completely take him out of the rotation. Just like you don't need a big man, and he's not like a control. Like, he can play right, ten like, minutes. It's not a big deal. People need to rest a little bit. And like he's not always going to be going up against Paul Millsap. You know, there are other players on the team like Mike Muscala. Or there's actually been times this season that Jared has been a very good player, and if he could just get back to rebounding the basketball with, a, with like effectively, it doesn't have these tough matchups against more athletic guys. He might show a little bit better but and that can happen in one game he could just say hey i'm rebounding today and then the whole right exactly and then everyone i think i feel like we've answered this every single podcast so far do you still want him on this team next year i mean they have to choose between him and evan turner in most likelihood which one would you pick at this point well i think you you take i mean based on how the roster is constructed right now makes it a little bit more difficult because you you probably need if they go and sign two bigs then it becomes an easy question but um, I think both guys are in the same boat. It's like there's bigger fish to fry at the start of the off season, and you hope that they can fill out the roster with more impact, proven talent, and then use their rights to come back and sign those guys to sort of fill out the bench and go over the cap. But I don't think either will be necessarily a priority at the start. I think they very much would like, especially Evan Turner, because of that versatility, and I mean that goes way back before Brad. They, they always like those guys that have can play multiple roles. Uh, and Jared, like, let's face it, you know, as, as, as bad as he's been in the series, he, he's got a, an excellent skill set. He's still relatively young. Um, the sticker price on effective, productive bigs is going to be give you sticker shock. And so if you can get him without necessarily crippling your cap or having to use an exception or whatever, the, you know, use cap space, uh, there's a thought that you might want to just pay the price, especially with how much money is going to be thrown around. All right, next question from a, a friend of the program. I say that just because I enjoy his pr- Twitter presence, and he made the uh, Photoshop of the New England Clam Crowder, Max Lederman <laughs> from uh, Comcast Sportsnet. 
But I don't understand his question in a little bit, and I hope you can uh, help Let's, us out. Uh, I will, I will, we might have to away. we might have to remix this question. Why don't you ask it? We'll see if Chris is aware what of what's going on. Shopkin's character is Marcus Smart, <laughs> and I don't know what a Shopkin is. And I'm but from your laugh, I sense you do because and, you have yeah. kids, and we I, don't have kids. And him and Max both have young kids, so I think this is kind of like a early thirties dad. This kind is of a question. dad joke question, but uh, yeah, this, answer this, answer yeah. anyway. Uh, so Shopkins, when, when it, my children are, when my children are not breaking plates with full of chocolate covered strawberries, they play with these miniature food items, and they all have whimsical names like Grand Jam and Taco Terry, and they're little like Pablo Pickle. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Nice, but, but there's 140 per season. And there's probably been four or five seasons by now. Oh, these and... are just Beanie Babies reincarnated. Well, it's, it's 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 a little bit more difficult because what toy marketers has have has learned since we were children is that you can sell these products in like five and twelve packs, but if you make just even one a mystery shopkin that you can't see through the packaging, oh. kids will lose their collective minds and like. We buy, so they're called blind bags, and you buy, like, you buy them in two and five, whatever. And my kids, they have, they enjoy nothing more than the suspense of opening it, even though they have not realized that nine times out of ten, it results in a duplicate that they already have. Okay, what's, and, what's the worst shop can you can get? Like, oh, another hamburger Harry. Yeah, I mean, uh, because there's so many per season, and invariably the, there's, you know, 10 to 15 commons like I think we've got a bazillion cookie cookies and oh screw Taco that Terry. cookie cookies a jerk. Taco Terry is pretty cool. Like I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of biased, but she's got like a little piece of lettuce and a mustache. I mean, it's it, 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 it's probably it's it's one of the better ones in the in the pack. Now they also make like uh what, like diamond kind. It's not real diamond, obviously, but it's like shiny kind of texture on these things. And those things, if you go on YouTube, like if you ever want to go down a real wormhole. Go online and search Shopkins videos, and you will be – it'll make Jared quit his job as Celtics videographer and think about just starting his own podcast about Shopkins because there are people out there who get, like, 5 million views for a simple video where they just open these blind bags. Because my kids now, like, when, I w- when they wake up in the morning, especially on a weekend, they don't go, like, put on cartoons. Like, sometimes they do. But sometimes they go, can we put on YouTube so we can watch some other kid? open Shopkins videos. That's messed up. That sounds like crack. Let me just tell you, Chris, one of the most depressing things that I encounter in my life is when I spend two hours on a really nice production for the Garden Report postgame show, and then I open up YouTube, and there's some guy screaming about LaShawn McCoy getting traded to the Bills, and it has 30 million views, and I have like 2,000 views, and I consider that a decent night. That really puts you in your place. It, it, again, it's all relative. Like you got to strike where the iron's hot. There are these kids in the Iron's hot in the Shopkins world. It, it is. Is, is Ike Iron right one of the Shopkins? I just got a strategy. I'm going to get really, really into Shopkins. So that way in like 10 years, when I'm uh, becoming old like Chris, I'll know what's hot in the streets. <laughs> I'll know what's hot in the streets. I'll be like, yo, remember Shopkins? And these kids are like, all right, this guy like, knows what's up. We still say yo. This guy knows what's up. Okay, so like that's that's the great thing about kids. Like they reintroduce you to what's hip. Like my, even even my six year old will listen to to pop music now. So I'm, I I know all the Bieber hits and stuff like that now. Like before, just kind of listen to my own music. I've had my alternative music on, and 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 I was oblivious to pop music for a while. And now, like 
you know what? Beyonce's got a new album. Oh, my kid's got it. We're gonna we'll probably be banging it this weekend. And actually, we're playing that on the podcast tonight because that album is so unbelievably good. I cannot get over it. But uh, we did have a question here. Technically, this was a question of which Shopkins is Marcus Smart. Did we even answer I, that question? Yeah, no. And and, and 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 you know what? I keep hating, I keep hating to go back to Taco Terry, but because <laughs> he's got the little lettuce stripe, it kind of mimics Marcus Smart's hair. That one little rust-colored strip he's got. So I would have to. I, I would really have to go pull out the list. I mean, this is well. How then bad then it is. who is Terry Rozier's uh, taco? Taco Tito. <laughs> how many tacos yeah, not, are there? there? There's not any. There's no more tacos. Was there's there no family? They didn't do like one season of just all different tacos. No, not yet. It, it actually took till like season three to get Taco Terry. It was actually a matter of, of content in the Forsberg household because I kept saying, "When am I going to get a taco or a burrito or something that you know would 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 be interesting?" Something more culturally of... representative. But, by the yeah, way, is right? Taco Terry a hard shell taco like Marcus Smart or a soft shell taco <laughs> like Avery Bradley? He's he's not a soft shell taco like Kelly Olynyk. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go with Kelly, but that seemed too easy. All right, all right. We, I think we got one more question here. I got actually two more questions for you. This one's a, a bit difficult, but um. Which one attribute from each player on the current starting five would you pick to form a mega Celtic or a Power Ranger Celtic? I'm gonna need a like. Oh, that's from Jive John, by the way. Jive John. Jive John. With a great question. It's a great question. I would need a whiteboard to start going through. But let's see. Let's do this really quick. Isaiah's. See, now I'm worried because I'm gonna say Isaiah's Isaiah's fearlessness. No, I'll say Isaiah's confidence. Marcus's competitiveness. uh, Evan Turner's. Quotes, just his ability to speak. <laughs> yeah, like, I, <laughs> that would be great. If, if anyone could, you, if, if you could build a perfect player, it would be a quote machine like uh, like Evan Turner. Also, his sense of style would be nice with uh, all his crazy postgame sweaters and such. Um, Amir, not Amir Johnson's ankles and uh, Jonas Jurepko's energy. And haircut. And haircut. And, and just general Swedishness. That, and, and as someone who is a Swedish, I will add to that, yes, absolutely, all things. If you could just, you know what, let's make, just make it easy. Uh, the perfect player is Jonas Jerebko. That's fair. That's the that's the best <laughs> cop-out you could have done. All right, we have one last question for you, and I thought of this myself. Um, which one of Isaiah Thomas's kids do you like more, Jaden or James? So I actually feel bad because one of them is clearly very basketball-centric. I think it's Jaden. And he brings him to, like, he was on the road here in Atlanta last time. And I don't know if the other one's just not into basketball as much. Uh, it was cool to see them both up there and get their moment. Uh, that was uh, quite the interesting post game. I love, I, so I think it's James is the other one, is the one who said Isaiah is great at basketball. And I wonder if my children would ever stand up in front of a microphone and say anything. Like, you know, I can't, my little one Zoe and Lexi, I don't think they would stand up and be like, my dad is the greatest sports writer ever. Mic drop. Because I would probably walk up and go, they're wrong. Thanks. <laughs> and, <laughs> More importantly, but, would your children refer to you as daddy or Chris when yeah. speaking on national television? <laughs> I mean, you know what? I, if, they, if, they, if they were on national TV and they were being that cute, they'd call me whatever they want. They could mispronounce my name. I don't care. But 
Uh, it was a little unique here. I'm saying Isaiah is a great basketball. That was a diplomatic answer, but the right answer is uh, is Jaden. Uh, he's got more of the star power, <laughs> and it might make me a, a bad person to judge uh, some toddlers that I've only observed. But uh, you got to get in the game early. Jaden was clearly the best one. I actually saw them uh, playing tag out on the court after the game, and uh, Jaden's got much more potential. He could it was throwing some jukes in there. James is more of just chasing lazily. Didn't even seem like he wanted to catch Jaden. So um, I think if I'm really going to choose one, Jaden's the one going places. And James, he's got the good lines, but you know what? I need a little more substance. Wait, we need a, we got a quick battle of the podium children stars here. We got 2014 Chris Paul's son, 2015 Steph Curry's daughter, 2016 the Isaiah Thomas boys. Who is the cutest NBA kid in the game right now? Yeah, maybe because I'm, I'm biased with two girls. It's got to, it's, it's still Riley. I know yeah. people were all like, oh, Jada was so cute. No, Riley still had the, the better kind of way. She, she worked it in better. Than, uh, than than Isaiah's kids, but this, I mean, it's not this. This isn't this isn't Star Search here, so we we can't be like trying to turn it into a kids competition. And she has my, arguably my big, one of the greatest memes in internet history too. <laughs> the one of her question, screaming into the mic is legendary. My biggest question is: Do any of them play with Shopkins? Oh, we should ask them. Okay, this is what we got to do, Chris. You got to bring your kids to the next press conference <laughs> and have them ask Isaiah's kids about Shopkins, and then that would be. That's just that cuteness, like, cuteness if abound. I could, if, if I got the mic and I was like, uh, Chris Forsberg, I want to hand this off to Zoe here. And if Zoe was like, uh, this one's for Jaden. Uh, do you play with Shopkins? And do you believe that Taco Terry is the greatest of season three? That's the moment we're all waiting for. Yeah, evidently. All right. I think I think that's where we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, Chris make Forsberg. Sure, well, oh, sorry. Sure you, no, I was going to say, make sure you add in our little pre-show, pre-show, pre-show meeting. Oh, it's going to be there. Day. Okay, so if, if 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 you're just tuning into the podcast late, which I don't know how you could even do that, but if you happen to scrub to, to the 40 minute mark and you're like, this has been a pretty entertaining podcast, but I need some more food talk that I'm accustomed to at the end of the WEI podcast, just stick around for a few minutes. You might you might be entertained. And then and also in a, a debate of journalistic journalistic ethics when the heroes among us uh, get awarded. So <laughs> all of those conversations we and went more. way off the beaten path on this podcast, but that's why it's a game five preview. Okay, last thing before we go, you know, predictions are obviously the most valuable use of our time. So prediction time. How does the rest of the series play out? I thought for sure Jared was going to try and get another SeatGeek promo in. <laughs> said, but what I'm trying to say is, which SeatGeek code would you use to describe the way the series is going to play out? I would probably uh, use Nate Duncan's SeatGeek code. That guy, he's got a great podcast. So that's like hey, did you take it? Did you take a survey? Are you a true Dunked On fan? Yeah, I took his survey. Good. Uh, so use the cap, code CAPSPACE to support Nate Duncan's NBA <laughs> podcast. Use the, use the promo code SHOPKINS as heard on the WEI podcast. Um, I will say that for Game 5, uh, you know, we'll know in the first five minutes because if the Celtics actually find a way to bring some intensity and some energy and make some shots in the first five minutes, uh, as they showed at home, they're going to be competitive till the end. And, um, you know, you do worry about them getting discouraged. And as much as Brad has tried to get this home and away thing out of their heads uh, this season because people brought it up so much, uh, especially when they were playing really good at home and then kind of faltered a little bit on the road, uh, I just think that the, they're, they're, they should be competitive. They have momentum now. They know what they need to do to be successful. They've kind of got that, oh, woe is me out of their, out of their mind now that they've kind of fought through these injuries. I feel like the Celtics should be in a good position to come out 
you know, that being said, it, the, what, what we've learned so far is that the home team has come out pretty on fire and, and built itself a pretty comfortable cushion and uh, sort of used that to, to steer itself to, to wins. Uh, I will say this. I think it's going to be difficult for the Celtics to win game seven down here. I'm not saying it's impossible. And, you know, if the, the, presumably that would mean the Celtics would lose game five and win game six and have, still have momentum coming back here. Uh, that being said, I think at some point these injuries – uh, especially if you don't get guys back, is going to kind of put a tax on these guys. And they're playing not a lot of more minutes, but they're still playing some more minutes. If the Celtics find a way to steal game five, I think they've, they've got this series. But uh, if not, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a difficult grind to, to get those last two. All right, that's right. You heard it, folks. Game five is a must win from uh, Chris Forsberg. <laughs> of, uh, we know game seven's a must win. Well, Game 5 is uh, for the purpose of this. Whoa, that was not a sentence. For the purposes of this podcast, Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you after Game 5 on Wednesday. Thanks, guys. I'm going back to eat some Bojangles. All right, save me some Bojangles, man. All right, so you heard Chris's prediction. He basically said either Celtics in 6 or Hawks in 7. Or uh, Hawks in 6. That's another possibility. Yeah, it felt. Uh, yeah, that's true. He basically said all the possibilities. <laughs> One of the teams will win. He, at least he didn't hedge his bets there. <laughs> he didn't. He basically said the Celtics won't win in seven. But what are your personal thoughts on the series? How do you think it's changed after the Celtics have come back to win and tie up the series? I mean, I always like it when the team when the team on the road can actually hold down their side of the bargain and actually come out of it looking better. You know, a lot of the time it'll be they just like they barely survived it. But I thought the Celtics kind of really figured figured out their offensive system again in the in the second half of Game Four, especially after they responded to that huge run that the Hawks made in the third quarter. So I like their chances of winning this in seven, and I I, I feel like I'm a little got like there's a little bit of a green tint in the lenses of my glasses when I say that, which I hate, and I try to I try to take a step back and think, am I being biased there? But I really I spent like three hours a day thinking about it, and I really think I'm not being biased on that one. Al Horford is struggling a little bit with injury, and it was pretty apparent in that game. Jay Crowder made moderate improvements in that game. You get him back while Horford's declining a little bit, Celtics can win the next two games in a row. If really, it could happen. I was kind of making fun of Chris for saying that Game Five is a must win, but I actually kind of. I mean, of course it is. It feels Every that game's way. a must-win at this it point. It feels that way at this point because I don't think the Celtics are going to lose at home when the, you feel like Dennis Schroeder was legitimately shook by all the booing. He's not the best decision-maker uh, in general when he's on the floor, and then when you add in that psychological of, what is it, 17,000 people yelling at you, it's probably not going to go well. So I think the Celtics are, are guaranteed to win Game 6, but like uh, Chris said, Going into a game seven with everyone hurt, playing, they had six players, I think, or five players play more than 40 minutes yesterday. There's eventually going to take a toll on them. That's the great thing about basketball, though, is uh, anyone could win the game. It's a make or miss league, so said Doc Rivers. We could see the Hawks come back and just shoot the lights out, and it could be done in six. I really like the idea of Kyle Korver going out there and having like 25 points in game five. That's the, if I have to make a specific prediction, I think he's going to have a huge game, mostly in the third and fourth quarter, really. If I'm going to make a prediction, it's that Terry Rogier is going to play less than 20 minutes. Yeah. I don't think that's that bold of a prediction. I think that's a pretty normal guess. I'm sticking to it, though, because I, like I, I feel like it's wrong. This guy's looking at a legend. He's saying, I'm nowhere near it. All right. I'm, <laughs> that's going to wrap it up for us here at the WEI Celtics Podcast. You can catch me on Twitter, at Sam Packard NBA. Jared? Don't follow me on Twitter. I don't want to hear from you. That's fair. Uh, his actual thing is at CLNS underscore Jared. Did I get it right? 
Jared Weiss. W-E-I-S-S at the end there. Uh, you know where to find this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on WEEI.com, on the CLNS Radio application in the, your app store that applies to whatever operating system you have. Unless you have a phone that runs Linux, I don't know if that's a thing, but sorry, I don't think we're in there. So that's going to do it for us. We'll see you after Game 5. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a Rick James interlude right now, and then after, if you want to stop by and uh, listen to us talk with Chris Forsberg about Bojangles and ethical dilemmas in journalism, make sure to stay tuned. This has been the WEEI Celtics Podcast. We need the five star review for Bojangles right off the top. Well, why we, we got to use it in the show, right? That's like, true. What, what, we, the only thing the we only, don't edit anything on this show. This is all straight to tape. All right, that's cool. The only right reference now. I have for Mr. Bojangles is, and it's not even Mr. Bojangles, but there's a sketch on SNL where Will Ferrell just chanted, "Mr. Bojangles is really a girl," and that's the only <laughs> thing that comes to mind whenever uh, the word Bojangles is mentioned. Well, I figure we can get a whole, like, 15-minute block out of just chicken and biscuit conversation, so I'm pumped for this episode. All right, though. I'm going to have to dig deep for my chicken and biscuit talk because I got Popeyes, and that's about it. You can bring that to the table as long as you got something. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I figured we'd talk about basketball. What? All right, if we must. Actually, really? No, I'll, wait. I'll ask on the air. Never mind. Um, Let's just go into it. Yeah, We do don't it. need agendas or for pussies. Let's do this. Yeah. So, Chris, you're in Hotlanta. You're in Decatur right now, right? Is is, I, is Andre 3000 just walking around right now, just rapping? I'm looking, man. I'm looking. Uh, you know, like, I don't I don't have a real grasp on uh, Atlanta geography, but I just know that I'm crazy enough that I hit the ground in Atlanta and I drive, like, 20 miles to Decatur to find the nearest Bojangles and uh, get cracking on my chicken and biscuits. You have to listen to our no. If you have time tonight on Netflix, there's a documentary about organized noise. The guys who produced Outcast, it's amazing. It'll give you a real uh, local Atlanta flavor. All right. Well, that's, I've got no, I've got nothing else to do. That's at the there's top. It. That's literally at the top of my queue right now. It's going to be watched this weekend. So right now you're calling us from a Bojangles. I want your 20 second review. Uh, the best uh, review I can give you is that Bojangles is the leader, the preeminent chicken and biscuit spot in the Forsberg household, and as someone who is great uh, lucky enough to travel much of the south uh, i enjoy chick-fil-a i enjoy popeyes i enjoy a lot of these places uh none of them compared to bojangles and part of it is because uh you guys might not know this about me yet but i uh i might have a slight unsweetened iced tea addiction and uh so i could rank like from one to a hundred like every fast food joint in america all right there. if you really have an addiction where's your local fix in boston well, here's the problem. You know what? You know what the best fast food iced tea in Boston and, and really New England is is Chipotle. Hmm. And a it, genuine I don't know special. What it is. No wonder it's, you're such a Chipotle fan. Yeah, and, and honest to God, like I mean, and Moe's is good, but I can like this is how bad it is. I can tell you like the brands. There's like Chipotle gets it from this place called S and D Coffee out of North Carolina. Oh, you've it's got brutal. it down to the distributor. You are an yeah. addict. 
I am, I am. Like I hate to say it, like but I guess the good part is when I was so when I was a kid, and, I, and we talked about this last episode. I, I was like a fat little chunky kid, and I decided like my dad gave up smoking. I was like, I gotta give up something comparable. And like, what does a little kid give up? Like I should have gave up smoking. When smoking, I was yeah. Yeah, and so I decided I'd give up soda. And so that was really cool because I was chugging like Mountain Dew and, and Coca-Cola and all those bad things for you. And I said, I'm going to try drinking iced tea. And at first it was like I did the bad iced tea with the sugar in it. Lipton, man? You're, you, you, yeah. got, you went deep into Lipton's? It's bad, man. Arizona? You know, I mean, Arizona iced tea was just pure sugar. Every day and- of freshman year, I had a 99-cent <laughs> Arizona fruit punch, and it was amazing. That is a whole <laughs> underworld of sugar down there. Oh, yeah. It was great. We're going into the dark web of, of sugary drinks here, but it was uh, it was good for me to get off off that. But now I have this like caffeine addiction, so it's coffee and iced tea. And you know, if you ever see me looking jittery around the garden, it's probably because I forgot to bring my iced tea with me. So every single game is what you're saying. No, that's, that's not true at all. Forsberg strolls in like right at the end of the national anthem and perfectly takes a seat every time just at hip. He's like the most casual person there in the entire building. Like a true patriot. Because, <laughs> you know, he was standing in the tunnel with a hard, rigid salute at attention. I, I, you know what? I actually, I, I'm actually kind of surprised when people blow right through the national anthem. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't have any hard and fast rules for that. But is it that hard when the national anthem stops playing and just maybe chill wherever you are for, for a minute and then go to your seat? Yeah, that's a that's a frustrating one. I always a big debate is whether or not to cl- uh, stand to clap for the hero among us, and it uh, really yeah. I find myself judging it based on uh, how heroic I think they are, and that's just like a really <laughs> terrible, terrible thing I do as a human. But there's some hero wa- among us that I have not stood for, and I felt badly. Yeah, like, and I always get feel conflicted because like it's it goes back to the sports sort of thing about it. Like we're not supposed to stand and applaud the teams. But can we stand and applaud the guys that are being honored by? The, I don't know. I think it's it's it's, it's quite the conflict. But I agree. Like, do I clap a little harder when they got the little kid who lost a friend to cancer and played a hundred go- uh, holes of golf in his honor? And I think that's really cool. Whereas the guy who like built a library at some school probably is just as cool. But I'm not into building libraries. I'm into playing golf. So it's, it's a difficult line to walk. So what you didn't know is that was actually a golf library. Oh, well, and that's the best of both worlds. If they could just serve chicken and biscuits and iced tea at that, <laughs> at that library, I'd, I'd go there every day. I mean, my rule of thumb is I try to, like, clap over my head very vigorously when I'm sitting in press row. But if I'm sitting in a different location like the Halo or the Baseline, I usually get up. I, I try just to... boo if I'm in the Halo because no <laughs> one can see me. So I just I really let my feelings go. I actually yell a lot more. Jared, you've sat with me for the past two games. I'm a lot more vocal when I'm in You've the, been in very Halo. vigorous in the Halo. Chris, you're, you're missing out on my hot takes. You're missing out on my hot takes when I'm down there with the real media. Are you just, like, screaming at them? Like, it, it, there is something to be said, because even here in Atlanta, we are, like, baseline, sort of like that, that sec- secondary section at the Garden where, you know, fans are standing up in front of us. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to tell anybody who paid for a ticket to sit down. Like, you want to stand on your chair, feel free. You paid your $100 probably to sit that close. Uh, but, you know, you, do, you definitely get maybe more involved than, than in that regular media section. All right. Um, this is real inside basketball here. We're gonna co- okay. No, right we're, now I'm I'm calling off. We're just gonna record. We start from a new, and we'll put that conversation at the end because we can't start a podcast with ten minutes <laughs> not mentioning game four whatsoever. That's just not allowed. I mean, people come for the unsweet and nice tea talk. They stay what for the basketball. It was good talk. We just got to put it at the end. So we- no, 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 no. Here's what you do. Even easier. You just say like. 
if you are here for the basketball talk, you're going to want to scrub the 14 seconds at, 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 on the top of the show. And then you patched it, and now we're good. Now here's, we're the, here's the problem. I don't trust our audience to be able to uh, enough scrubbing skills for 10 minutes. I think people would tune out. <laughs> That's just me. I'm being honest. Okay, by the way, we're not going to edit any of this out. Let's just move forward now. Let's just leave it as it is, really. All Let's right. In three, two, one. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.